morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody all right? Whew, I think I preached for about an hour at 8.30, so typically when I preach a message again, it goes longer, so y'all just buckle your seatbelts, okay? Um, we've got another service coming in at 6.30, so we'll be sure to be out by then. But the Patriots already played on Thursday night. Some of you have tried to forget that, so I know many of us don't have anywhere to go. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to get there eventually, but we are talking about joy. And before we dive too deep into this, I have a confession to make. Is that okay? Can I make a little bit of a confession this morning? Okay, Henry nodded, so I'm going to go with it. Um, so here, here's my confession. Last Sunday night, which, which i gotta, I got to be honest with you, the longer that I do this, the longer that I'm in ministry and I preach and, and things like that, it's amazing how fast another Sunday comes and you guys show up again expecting to hear another message and music and all this stuff. It just feels like it's getting quicker and quicker that these Sundays come around. And it's the only day of the week I work, but still, like it's, it's intense. And... Um, but anyway, last Sunday, I was, I was sitting in my office before the 6.30 service, and I was just kind of, you know, getting, getting back into um, the frame of preaching and, and all of that for, you know, for the 6.30 service, for the evening service last week. And I had the thought, I knew, okay, after last week, there's two Sundays left, and, and I've always known that love is last, but I think I, I, think I wanted to forget this week, and I was kind of hopeful for something, and so I couldn't really remember what this week, what the word of this week was, what the theme of this week was, and so I looked at my notes for this for this series for Advent this year, and they're right here, and it kind of lays out the schedule of what I'm preaching, and, and when, and which Sunday's what, and all that, and I, I, I wanted to remind myself before I came up last Sunday night what, what this Sunday would be, and I looked down, and I saw indeed that Sunday, December 13th, Christmas joy. And I just went like, oh no. Oh man, that's next week. And I'll be honest with you, church, there was a, there was a, there was, there was a little bit of dread, uh, not a little bit, I, I told you I'd be honest with you. There was dread kind of all week in that, all right, you got to gear yourself up, man, because Sunday you got to preach on joy. You got to preach on joy, and, and in order to preach on joy, right, you got to be joyful, right? That's kind of the idea, right? If you're going to talk about joy, you should probably have experienced joy a little bit yourself. And, and, and there hasn't been a lot of moments for me lately um, where I've just experienced an overwhelming and exceeding amount of joy. Like, I'll be honest, the Christmas inflatable kind of got me there. Like putting that in the front yard, like we're, we're already making plans for next year. We're going to go big, the 15 foot frosty. We're going for it. All right. And we're going to try to figure out how to get it on the roof. You know, we want our house to be seen from space, that type of thing. Like that's what we're going for next year. So we're gearing up. We're going to hit the clearance at, uh, Christmas lights after Christmas, you know, at Home Depot and all those things. So we're, we're gearing up. It almost got me there, but like, it's been hard to kind of build up. It's kind of, it's kind of been hard to build up joy. And so Thursday... I kind of I kind of hit a wall and was like, "All right, I'm I'm done with this." And so I decided in my office, as after beating my head against the wall for about five minutes trying to find joy that way, um, that I would take a drive 
down to Target, because that's guaranteed to bring joy. Target in December, what else brings joy, right? Wrong. But I walked around Target and uh, found nothing, so I walked out empty-handed, to which everybody looked at me like, who's that weird guy leaving a store in December empty-handed? I didn't even go to Starbucks. I couldn't afford it. Anyway, um, but so get out to the car, and the kids have been doing something weird with my phone on the Bluetooth in the car to where they've got it now where it just plays whatever it wants. I think it's on some type of shuffle, and I can't figure out how to get it off. So, so I get in the car. I could hear anything from High School Musical to Hamilton to Jesus Loves Me. Like, I never know what's coming. And so it's kind of fun to use that word because you just never know what's coming next out of, out of the speakers. And so I get in the car from Target. I'm driving back to the church. I am so frustrated. I'm so discouraged. I have no idea where I'm going with joy. I have no clue what I'm doing. And I get on Running Hill Road, and Oh Holy Night comes on. The song we just sang. And, and I've sung that song, man, thousands of times. But the line, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices came over my car louder than it ever has before. And I thought, wait a minute, that's joy. And the reason I was so frustrated, I realized in that moment, the reason I was so, so, you know, distraught over the fact that I couldn't figure out joy was that I was trying to manufacture a level of joy that was artificial and performance-based so that I could perform before you this morning instead of experiencing and walking in real, true, pure joy. And I'm here to tell you something. That's not the way to do it, number one. Number two, I fear that for years, for days, for months, we have been trying to do the same thing. Maybe you've been trying to do the same thing. Manufacture a level of joy that's artificial. At about 9.30 last night, I finally got clarity. I was talking to some folks last night. I was like, some sermons come in like five minutes. Others come five minutes before the service. And this was one of those weeks where like, okay, Thursday, I kind of got the crux of joy, but then like I was walking Friday on my day, trying to figure out, and I was walking yesterday, finally about 9.30 last night in the 11th hour, I found a definition of joy that just clicked. I want to show it to you. Joy is this. It's a good feeling. How many of you, how many of you have tried to say joy is not a feeling? Okay, I've, I've, I've said that before, but joy is a good feeling. It's where the feeling comes from, in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Joy is a good feeling in the soul, deep down. <laughs> I'm about to turn southern gospel preacher here in just a moment. Oh. I can feel it. It's a good feeling in the soul caused by, brought on by, produced by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in Scripture in Luke chapter 1 in just a few minutes. 
produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you have time, turn there sometime this week. Go there. I want you to look at it. Rob, leave the definition up for a little bit. And the story is this. Elijah, right, comes and he, and he calls a group of people together. Because the reality is, right, there, there was false worship happening. These false gods. And in fact, that's interesting to me. Because I was thinking about Philippians. And I was thinking about the church at Corinth. I was thinking about Job the last 72 hours. And you know what I find interesting? Whenever Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice. And again, I'll say rejoice. It wasn't that the church was in a good place. Like if the church was in a good place, Paul probably wouldn't have been writing a letter to them. Right? I mean, if the church of Corinth had their stuff together, had their act together, they wouldn't have needed two letters that were really long and intense, full, packed full of goodness for us. And we look at the church of Corinth and we're like, man, they're messed up. I wonder what the church of Corinth would say about us. Okay, not the point. Anyway. But anytime I read that, right, Paul says, rejoice, and again, I'll say rejoice. Paul talks and pleads with the church at Corinth over and over and over again to have joy in the Lord. God says to Job in Job chapter 40, after Job's lost everything, and Job didn't lose everything because God was picking on him. Job lost everything because God said he was holy enough and righteous enough to take it, Right? And God tells Job in, Isaiah, in, in Job 40, hey, dress for action, right? You don't have time to sit and wallow in pity and sorrow and talk about all the things you've lost. I've still got a plan for you. There's still breath in your lungs. I've got something for you to do. If you're not dead, God's not done, right? And so God basically calls him out of, out of sorrow and says, hey, we've got work to do. Dress for action, Right? And, I, and so I was thinking about I was thinking about these places in scripture where these these churches and these people, they didn't necessarily feel like being joyful. But God tells them to rejoice. I was talking with a dear pastor friend of mine on Tuesday morning. And I and I called him for, for a whole other reason. But when he answered the phone, I was just burdened for him. I said, hey man, how can I pray for you? He pastors a large church of about 25 people down in North Carolina. And um, he said, Travis, I, I, I want to tell you what I preached on this past week. I preached on Isaiah 64. Great passage. But great passage where Isaiah is pleading with God, rend the heavens, come down, rend the heavens, come down. And in verse 7, Isaiah gets to a point. He said, oh that the people would press into you, that they would rouse themselves to come after you. And he said, I, I, I pleaded with my congregation. This was a week ago, last Sunday. He said, he said, I stood up there and I pleaded with my congregation, please, please, just run after the presence of God in your life because if you're not, you're missing out. He said, oh, that it would be that I'm not the only one in the church that reads his Bible that cracks it other than Sunday morning. It was burdened for his people because here's the problem. Many of us are trying to manufacture joy instead of sitting in the source of joy. Elijah looks at these people who are 
wrestling with these false gods. And he asks them a question that I want to ask you this morning. How long will you go limping back and forth between these two opinions? How long will you go limping back and forth between these two opinions? Creator versus created. How long are you going to go back and forth limping between worshiping the creator and worshiping the created? Because, here, because here's the point, okay? Joy, if you're taking notes, write this down. Joy is directly connected to our level of worship. Our level of joy is directly connected to our level of worship. What's worship? I'm glad you asked because many of us would say worship is what we just did. The four songs, right? That we sang, joy to the world, our God saves, that new one, behold him with good song, and, and uh, oh holy night. I was sitting back there, I was getting choked up during oh holy night because I haven't heard you guys sing like that. Whew, that was good stuff. We're going on the road. We're going to go try out for The Voice, this crew right here. This crew right here, Dylan, Dylan and Kristen are going to lead us, and we're going to be the background. Man, we're going to fund the new building right there, the voice. But, but many of us would say, and, and we fall into the trap a lot of times as a staff, and we talk about our worship, right? And, we, and we're, what we're referring to is the songs. That's not worship, that's singing. What we just did is singing. Now, now, before you get, before you get too worked up, you can worship while you sing, Right? You can worship while you do a lot of things, but that's not worship, right? And our worship is when we sit in the presence of God, right, and praise Him and worship Him and come before Him and sit in awe of Him, right? And so our praise, our joy is directly connected to our worship. And so Elijah looks at these people and he says, hey, how long are you going to try to do this dance? How long are you going to limp back and forth between these two opinions of the created and the creator, and many of us in church, we, we, we play this balance. In fact, I think we, in fact, I think, we think that, the, that the, Christ, the secret to Christianity is finding the balance between the creator and the created. And we, and, and we try to play this line and we try to dance this dance between the created and the creator of worship, right? And so, and, and then we, we get shocked and surprised when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, when we're let down, when we're not experiencing joy, because we're not giving ourselves to one thing. In fact, Jesus, to the church at Laodicea, he says, you're neither hot nor cold, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. Oh, that you were either hot or cold. Oh, that you would make a choice. Oh, that you wouldn't limp between the two opinions, but that you would make a choice. And what I think has happened to so many of us, especially this year, is that we've even made the decision, we're, we're not going to limp anymore. I'm not going to limp back and forth between the two opinions. I'm done. I'm just going to take a seat. Let me know when you figured it out, somebody. Then we're not even limping anymore. Elijah goes on. He challenges the people. He says, look, make an altar for the God of Baal, right? Make an altar for, for my God. And they worship for eight hours to the God of Baal. Nothing happens right? Scripture says commentators do the best that they can with the timing of things. Elijah gives praise to his God for about 30 minutes and something happens. And it's amazing. First Kings 18, go, re go read the story. It's phenomenal. It's right before Elijah calls Elisha, which we talked about back during the capital campaign in October. It's right in that section of Scripture, right before Elisha, Elijah goes and calls Elisha. But we see that the source of joy is nothing that we can manufacture. It's not limping between these two different opinions. It's a good feeling in the soul produced by what? 
the Holy Spirit. When he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus in the word and in the world. One more thing I want to tell you before we get to, before we get to the um, two questions I want to ask you before we read Luke. One, one more thing. Because I'm not telling you, because I think for a long time, us pastors, right, we've, we've tried to stand up and preach to our congregations, hey, listen, the problem is with all the created stuff, right? Don't touch that stuff. Just come, in, come over here. Have a Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Just don't get into all that commercialism and the Christmas inflatables and all that stuff, Travis. Just, just sit over here, right? Just, just don't, don't even touch it. But that's not the point. Joy in the Creator doesn't mean we can't have joy in the created. It's just what's the point, what's the source of our worship? It's giving our worship to the Creator first and allowing through that to experience joy in the created. And so the first question I have for you this morning, as we're setting this up, going to Luke chapter 1, right now, well, first of all, let's, let's add a question in this service, okay? You're at 1030 service, you're a little sharper, you're a little bit more awake, so we'll give you an extra question. How many of you, how many of you would say, let's go, ahead and raise, let's go ahead and raise hands, this year, 2020, December 13th, 2020, I could use a little bit more joy. Anybody? Anybody? Amen. I see those hands. You must have been to Target too. All right. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I could use a little bit more joy. I could use a little bit more joy. Number two, if you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one or to shout it out or anything like that, but if you had to say, okay, the source of my worship is the created or the creator, what would you say? If I, if I had a balance scale, right, created, creator, which way does it lean? Or are you just kind of like, right? Neither. I'm sitting down. I'm not even limping between the two opinions. I'm just going to take a seat right here. And Bob and Lori, y'all tell me when you figure it out, and I'll limp to that side. Right? Created versus creator. Which is it? Where are you leaning right now? And I would say... Many of us, many of us, if not all of us, especially after a year like we've experienced, so much confusion, so much loss, so much hurt, so much frustration, so much this, so much that, that many of us are looking at the circumstances and trying to figure out how in the world we manufacture joy as a result. So then we have, then we have a, second, a third question for you guys, second question for the 830. I'll see if I can come up with a fourth question for tonight. Are we just going to walk around with apathy? Which for those of you that don't know, apathy is lack of emotion, lack of care, just meh, whatever. Or are we going to make adjustments? And that's the, that's the real crux of the issue that we have to get to before we can even be encouraged with joy this morning, before we can, we can even go to Luke and see how Mary's about to just experience a joy flip in her life is that we've got to make the decision, you know what, I'm done with apathy. I'm done with this lack of emotion. 
I'm done with this frustration. I'm done with beating my head up against the wall and trying to figure everything out. You know what? I'm going to make an adjustment, and I'm going to go to the Creator, and I'm going to find joy. And that's something that each and every one of us have to wrestle with. Because there's some things over here in the Creator that feel really good. You want to know the two biggest worship arenas, the two largest worship arenas in New England? Maybe not as much this year for more than one reason, not only COVID, but uh, Gillette Stadium, right? And, uh, and the Boston Garden, two largest worship arenas. I mean, I mean, we, man, we get excited about worshiping in those arenas, don't we? We paint ourselves, I say we, I've never done that. I've never, not yet. I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm just saying, I've, ne- I've never gone that far, okay? But like we, we get, I mean, we, you know, we, we get passionate, right? We get passionate about our team and we go and last year it was about a week removed from knee surgery and Ken Jones takes me down to the Boston Garden for a Celtics game. Do you know in the, in the, in the garden, if you sit in the lower level, right, which, um, which we did, I, I couldn't believe it, but Ken, Ken got us lower level seats. Do you know that you're not allowed to sit down until the Celtics score the first basket? A week removed from knee surgery, I'm standing, waiting for the Celtics to score the first basket. And it took them forever, it felt like, an eternity. And then we stand up for every time out because we're trying to get the free. It was, in- it was insane. And I'm like, man, these people are worshiping. Created things. And, and we could go on, right? What, what are the created things that we worship, right? The materialistic stuff, our Christmas list, because no, nothing, nothing, nothing gets into our worship feels like stuff. Relationships, kids, jobs, career, status, you know, all these different things. Church, right? Church buildings. That was my biggest fear with the capital campaign and us selling this building and moving on to a greater vision. And what God's called us to is that people would say, oh, they're just focused on buildings. No, we're not focused on buildings. We're focused on the church multiplying. Like that's, that's the focus. We're not going to lose that focus. We're not just trying to build a building so that we have more to clean. We're trying to build a building so that God gives us a larger platform to, to advance the kingdom and to advance the gospel with bean suppers. Anyway, so are we going to just walk around apathetic? No emotion? Hey, I'm making it. I'm on the right side of the ground, right? Or are we going to make adjustments? And I want to submit to you that joy is found when we worship our Creator and that we center our lives around Him. That we center our lives around Him. Even when things are dark, when things are confusing, when things are grim, and when we don't feel like it, God has the ability to give us a good feeling in the soul through the power of the Holy Spirit, by making us see the beauty of Christ in the Word of God and in created things. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 1, Mary. Right? We're going to pick up Mary in verse 29. I believe it's verse 29. 26. We're going to pick up Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now I want you to picture this. I want you to place yourself in Mary's shoes this morning. All right, Mary's shoes this morning, and, and you've been betrothed to Joseph. This angel, Gabriel, shows up to you, and we don't know what it looked like. We don't know if it was like the movies, and he was shining bright and in a white robe and all that stuff. I, I tend to think that probably wasn't the case, but I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure. We don't know. Commentators don't go there. We don't, we don't, we don't see that, right? But no doubt, we do see that he startled her. That this angel startled her, caught her off guard when he appeared to her and says, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, not only the saying, but probably the presentation. She was greatly troubled and, and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Two things I want to point out to you here. The first is this. The angel said to her, the Lord is with you. We struggle most when it comes to joy when we forget that the presence of God is with us. We can't find joy when we forget that we're not alone. That we're not alone. That we are walking with the Savior of the world, the Creator of the universe. The Lord is with you. And what Gabriel was doing here was not only trying to give Mary comfort, but give her confidence. Give her confidence that what she was walking in and what she was about to do and what she was about to accomplish, she wasn't going to do alone. She wasn't going to do alone. See, we, we, we've got a popular saying now, don't we? And I'm not, I'm not knocking the saying. I'm just saying I think we ought to add something to it, right? What have we been saying? Hey, we're all in this together. Well, that's all good and all, but you're not on, but, but what I'd love to say to you this morning is not only are we all in this together, but, but the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So it doesn't matter what the, what the years looked like. We're going to talk about that more in just a few minutes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Lord is with you today, just like he was when we talked about joy the third Sunday in Advent last year and two years ago. And four years ago, the Lord is with you. And guess what? He's going to be with you next year. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know who can't say that? The people around you. But his presence is with us constantly. And the angel wanted to tell Mary, what you're about to walk through, the Lord is with you. And the second thing that he says, not only is he with you, he's for you. The angel looks at her and says, you have found favor in the sight of God. Listen, that's beautiful. Can we just, can we just pause for a moment and sit in that? The fact, the fact that the, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, sent his son that we could be called beloved sons and daughters. That, that no matter what 2020's brought to me or taken from me, I am still a beloved son of God. I found favor. I found favor. Not only is he with you, he's for you. 
And this angel came to Mary and said, listen, listen, before we talk about what you're getting into, before we talk about what's about to happen and all the implications of all of that, right, which we're, we're, before we go there, you need to know two things. He's with you and he's for you. So listen to me, church. Listen to me, Summit 2020, Christmas, Advent. I want you to know two things before we go any further about joy because they are essential to joy. They are essential to this thing that we're searching for and trying to find and trying to manufacture and yet we're leaving this out. God is with you and he's for you and some of you have forgotten that he is with you and he is for you he wants he wants the best for you sometimes his tactics for getting you there are a little off in my opinion but they're his and I can't be critical of him because he's God and he's creator and he and I can have conversations and intense fellowship and I will lose every single time but I know in my heart of hearts deep in my soul the joy of the Lord that he's with me and that he's for me and somebody needed to hear that this morning he's with us and he's for us a weary world rejoices at the thrill of hope. And so we we keep reading, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then I love Mary's response. Because again, put yourself in the shoes of Mary. Okay, the angel shows up. He tells you he's with you. He tells you he's for you. And then he goes and he's, you're going to bear a son, right? And your son is the gospel. And he's going to save and he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, prince of peace, everlasting father. He is going to be, he's going to do great things. He's going to save the nation. He is the one that the Old Testament has searched for, that all of the prophecies, he is the fulfillment for. He is God. And you're going to mother him. Can you imagine Mary in this moment? But look at her response. Um, one problem. How can this be? Because I'm a virgin. How, how can this be? You've got the wrong girl, right? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's why I love that definition. Because when we leave the Holy Spirit out of joy, it's not joy. We see see the Holy Spirit bring joy to Mary here in Luke chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit is the source of joy for us as he calls out the beauty of Christ, both in the Word and in the world, both in the Creator and in the created. We don't experience the joy if we're not walking in worship with the Holy Spirit. And we see here, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child 
to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, relation, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Not only did Mary experience peace here, but she was overwhelmed with joy at the call of God over her life because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to skip a section where Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and John leaps in the belly of Elizabeth. And we, and we, we talked about that a little bit last week because John the Baptist, even before he was born, six, three months or so before he was born, he was already worshiping Jesus, already being moved by God, already overwhelmed with joy at the thought of Jesus. And, and, and his whole life was devoted to paving the way for Jesus, setting the stage for Jesus. And then you get the joy of baptizing Jesus. Isn't that awesome? But we talked about that last week, so we're going to skip down. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is Mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich has sent away empty. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. One thing I want to point out to you because it hit me this morning when I was reading it in the first service. I love, I love uh, verse 53. He was filled with hungry. He, was fi he, filled, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You know why he sent away the rich empty? Because they didn't recognize their need for God because their worship was centered in the created things and not the creator. When our focus is on our rich, when our focus is on our things, when our focus is on the created things, guess what? We don't recognize our need for God, so our worship is off, and so we're not going to walk in joy. Consider that a free warning. Okay. Three things, three application points, and we're done. I think we're doing better than we did in the first service, but now that I said that, I ruined it. I wrecked it. I wrecked it. The first thing we see is that Mary praises the Lord. A weary world rejoices. Mary chooses to praise the Lord. E even, after the, even after the angel Gabriel came to her, right, and she was troubled, and, but, he, but he said to her, you know, he's with you, he's for you, you found favor in his sight. She goes and she kind of she has a girl's uh, three months or so with, with Elizabeth and kind of gets some perspective here and kind of compares stories and different things like that, right? She, she, she does that, right? And, and then we see, we see the shift for her that she's fully embracing. We started, we started to see it in verse 36, and Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. But then she's even had more time to kind of marinate on what God has called her to and what's about to happen and the things that the angel promised to her. And she starts out by saying, my soul magnifies worships the Lord my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked upon me his humble servant and from now on 
All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary praises God in the, mi- in, in, um, in the midst of her circumstances. I mean, this wasn't a comfortable thing for her. I mean, socially, social status-wise, this wrecked her. This wrecked her. Baby out of wedlock, and this time would have marked her for the rest of her life. She, would have, she was ruined. And what'd she do? Fully embraced her worship and joy. Not with how it looked around her. Not because it all made sense. Not even because it felt right. But because he was God. So the application for us here is that there's joy in his blessings. In the same way we choose hope, in the same way that peace is in the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there's joy in the name of Jesus. That we've got to remind ourselves in moments where we're joyless. Apathetic, frustrated, confused, but Jesus. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. They won't, they won't look at my, they, they, won't, they, won't, they won't look at this confusing thing that's happened. They'll call me blessed. They'll call me blessed. And so Mary, in the midst of, in the midst of it all, she praised. In the midst of it all, she chose joy. A weary world rejoices. Number two. We see that Mary goes back to the gospel. I know it sounds a lot like number one, but hear me out here. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's talk about the gospel for just a moment. For God so loved the world. Who's the world? Pop quiz. All of us. Thank you, John. All of us, right? For God so loved the world. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right? That's the gospel. Mary goes back to the gospel. The fact that he came, verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him, for all of those who fear him, for all of those who fear him. The profession here is is that Jesus was born into this world to save all. Somebody say all. All people. There's not a division of race. There's not a division of economic value. There's not a division of social status in heaven. There's not. In God's eyes, we are one race created for one purpose, and that purpose is to ultimately worship Him. And Mary got that. His mercy is for those, for all those who fear Him from generation to generation. You know what that meant? 
You keep going generation to generation to generation. Eventually, we're going to get to 2020, the generation of 2020. It was us. From generation to generation. From generation to generation. And the application here is that there's joy in his blessings. Remind yourself not only, not, not only, not only reminding yourself of the Lord that he's with you and that he's for you, but remind yourself that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. I mean, we've, we've quoted it a couple times from O Holy Night, a weary world rejoices. Why? The thrill of hope. The gospel. Jesus. Stop limping between these two opinions. Choosing joy is choosing Jesus. And then lastly, 51 through 55, Mary declares what God has done. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He has satisfied the hungry with good things. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, his mercy, his kindness, his favor, his compassion. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Mary declares what God's done that he's already performed mighty deeds, that he's removed rulers from places where they shouldn't be, that he's lifted up the humble, that he has filled the hungry with good things, that he's helped his servant Israel. If it weren't, it, it, that, that, that his promise to his people is eternal, that his mercy is completely, continually upheld. And so the application here is that there's joy in his mighty mercy. That we look at all the things that God has done. I mean, I mean, let's, let's, let's do that for a moment, okay? Monday night, I was um, really last weekend, kind of talked about this a little bit at the start of, of, of last Sunday's message, um, but, but last weekend, I had all kinds of plow struggles. Now, they weren't normal plow struggles. They were the type of plow struggles that happen when you put a North Carolina boy behind a plow, Okay? All right, and so I was fixing some 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 stuff, and and uh, I had a couple people helping me. And finally, Monday night, we took it to a professional. So I had somebody come over and help me get it out to to the professional, um, because we had tried everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. And um, and so we took it out to Wyndham, about a fifteen minute drive, and then a f- the friend of mine and I were driving back into into Gorham. And, um, and, and we're just talking. We're talking about the year. We're talking about how tough it's been. We're talking about, I mean, just the frustrations and the confusion of everything. And, you know, just, just all, all, all kinds of stuff. And, we're, and, and in, in news that probably surprises no one, as we're talking about the year, we kind of caught ourselves complaining a little bit. We kind of we caught ourselves like, man, <laughs> we're being couple of whiners here and we started to say you know what though let's let's think about this 
Let's think about some of the good things that have happened. Anything good happened this year? Like, let me, let me, tell, you a couple, let me tell you a couple for me. Let me tell you a couple highlights. All right? Let me tell you a couple highlights. Let me tell you about Easter. For the first time since having kids, this year, I was home Easter morning. It's never happened. Like, I was home. I watched church in shorts and a t-shirt. Gym shorts, not even khaki shorts. Gym shorts and a t-shirt. We normally have the tradition in our house because of the nature of what I do. Easter Sunday is a pretty big deal for me, right, in my profession. Okay? We normally go to Great Wall China Buffet for Easter lunch. I smoked a ham this year for Easter. We had mashed taters and carrots and broccoli with cheese on it, right? Just for our family. Just, I mean, just us, right? Nothing's, not, we didn't invite anybody else for this. Just us, which is also rare. Never happened before. Never happened before. Let me give you another one. In May, it was a beautiful Sunday morning. We skipped out on the sermon online because it's really hard for you and your wife and your kids to listen to you on a TV when you're sitting in the recliner. That's a challenge. I tried to go handle something outside every sermon for about 30 minutes. Bria, my oldest, fell asleep every message when we were online. I couldn't wait to get back to to July 12th when we got back, when we started meeting again so that I could preach to people that were awake and then, well, that didn't quite work out. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, right? But we did something. We skipped out on the message. We went to Douglas Mountain, the six of us. We hiked Douglas Mountain at like 10, 45, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Shh, don't tell people. I'm joking about the don't tell people thing. It was beautiful. Like, we got to do things this year we'll never get to do again. The one service I'm sad about is next Friday night, or Thursday night, Christmas Eve. I'm sad that we're going to miss out on that. I'm really, really bumming that one. But we'll probably figure out something to do next Thursday night to enjoy that too, and to make that special that we'll sit in January and say, man, we'll never get to do that again, more than likely, till the next pandemic. And so as my friend and I are sitting in the truck Monday night and we're starting to think about things, I said, look, aside, aside from, and just, just hear me out on this, aside from preaching in a mask, like it's given me such a greater respect for those of you that actually wear it like all the time and have to wear it and like teach and all that. I don't know how you do it. I struggle breathing in the thing while I'm preaching. I don't know how you do it. I'm not whining. I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just saying what it is. If it wasn't for that, this really hasn't been a bad year. I mean, we're used to traveling every August down in North Carolina. We didn't do that this year. We got to experience a main summer, those two weeks in August that we only get summer. <laughs> we're usually in North Carolina. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And so many of us 
miss out on joy because we look at the things that, we look at, that we're missing out on instead of the things that we're getting to do. I don't think Job felt like rejoicing in Job chapter 40. I don't think Job felt like getting dressed for action like God was telling him to do. But he did it. Why? Because God had something for him to do. The church at Philippi probably had a hard time when Paul said rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, submit your request to God with thanksgiving. And the God of peace will rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They probably thought, Paul, really? Because I think that. But when I think back to that Sunday morning in May, when Kristen and I are sitting on the back deck and we're watching all four of our kids get along and play in the backyard, and the worship that she and I experienced by watching the gift of our kids. Like if I had the time, I could go through, I could go through, and I could tell you the miracle birth story that was each of my four kids. And when my worship is in the right place in the Creator, man, I look at those things as miracles. And I step on their Legos and they say, thank you, Jesus, that Ezra plays with Legos and leaves them out. But my worship is, is, in, the, is in the created. I step in those Legos and I can't repeat what goes through my heart and head from the pulpit. That's a little bit of an exaggeration because I think I think those things every time I step on those Legos, but you get the point. You get the point. Mary looks back at the track record of God and says, even though this doesn't make sense, even though my social status might be affected here, even though you're for me and you're with me, I choose to worship you. I will rejoice in you. I will embrace the thing you have for me. I'll choose intentional I'll intentionally choose joy. A good feeling in the soul from the Holy Spirit which comes from worship as He shows us the beauty of Christ in Scripture, in the Word, and in the world. In your marriage, in your kids, and your stuff, and your created things, and your sports teams, and all that stuff that we're into. So as the worship team comes, I know I've already asked you this. Are they coming? Okay, good. I didn't see any of them. We're, kind of, we're almost full here. How long will you go limping between two opinions? How long will you go trying to balance the created and the creator? How many of you have just stopped and you're sitting down? You're saying, this thing's not worth it. I'm just going through the motions. 
How many of you need to get back to joy? How many of you need to get back to the heart of worship? I was praying with a couple guys yesterday morning, and one of them prayed, I'm sorry for the thing I've made it, which is one of the lyrics in that song, Heart of Worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it. I'm sorry for the created stuff I've made it about, and I've missed you, the creator. Remind yourself of what God has done in your life. Remind yourselves of the victories. And look back and say, you know what? God's still good. God's still good. God is still good. You know, one of the biggest reminders of joy I have other than, other than Kristen and my four kids, I kid you not, when I think about those five, that's one thing for sure. Not going not gonna to lie to you and say that you're bigger than that, but man, when I sit and think a weary world rejoices Thursday morning, and I think about Kristen and the kids and how thankful I am for them, the next thought into my mind is the miracle that Summit is. And I get on New Road off of Running Hill Road listening to Oh Holy Night and I have to pull over because the tears are just falling so fast because I am loved and blessed by God. Because I get to be married to Kristen. I get to parent Bria, Micah, Ezra, and Vera, and all the Legos that I includes. And I get to pastor. Not the best church in the world. But in my opinion, one of the biggest miracles with what God has done here. Man, that's awesome. We're so blessed. We have so much to be thankful for and so much to be joyful for. This is a gift that we get to experience week after week after week, whether online or in person, to walk together knowing what we know. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you don't limp between two opinions. My prayer for you is that you don't just sit and quit and give up because it's been too hard. My prayer is that God restores the joy of his salvation in your life. And that's not something I can accomplish with a cute little acronym or sermon. That's something that happens in worship. That's something that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're sitting here this morning, we're about to sing this song called King of Kings, which is praise the Father, praise the Son. We're going to try to do what we've talked about. We're going to try to praise Him. We're going to try to worship Him through this song. Again, without the worship, without the Holy Spirit, it's just singing. 
But if you're sitting here this morning, listen to me, you're sitting here this morning, you say, Pastor Travis, man, I need the joy of my salvation restored. I am weary, but I want to rejoice. I'm weary, but I want to praise. Remember what God did for you, that he sent his son, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He walked this earth three and a, 33 and a half years. 33 and a half years so that he could die, so that he could be buried and three days later raise again to spend about 40 days with the closest people, about 200, 250 people of his closest people, and then ascend into heaven. Why? To go and prepare a place for you, that the helper, the Holy Spirit, the giver of joy could come and be with you. And look at his track record. Think about all the things that you get to experience in the joy of the Lord. So if you're sitting here this morning, head bows, eyes closed, and you'd say, Pastor, my prayer today for me is that the joy of my salvation is restored. Just sit there with your hands open before God. I'm not looking around. Nobody's looking around. I want to pray for you. God, I pray for joy. God, I pray against negativity. I pray against the foothold of the enemy that would come in and steal joy because that's what he wants to do. He comes to seek, to devour joy, to devour us, to take our joy. He's a taker. He's not a giver. God, you're a giver. And so I pray that you would give joy. I pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation. And God, if there would be anyone in here that hasn't experienced the joy of, of salvation, that hasn't, that hasn't walked to you, that hasn't, that hasn't said yes to you, God, that they would find me after and say, I want Jesus. I want salvation. I want joy. Because God, we can't experience it. We can't walk in it without you. And so God, I pray for those this morning that need you, that want you, that are hungry for you, and I pray that in your mercy, like you did with Mary, you would fill, you would restore, you would heal, you would grace, you would be compassion, compassionate and kind to us as we press into you. In Jesus' name we pray.